Welcome to Swanglinese, the only podcast talking the language of business here in the Middle East. Your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Andermo, give you their own insights as well as interviewing business leaders in the region to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. Barry, Oscar, let's talk Swanglinese. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of Swing the Knees. On this episode, I have the pleasure of Sebastian Bates in the studio with me. Hi Seb, how are you? I'm very well, Barry. How are you? Good, thanks. Not doing too badly at all. And uh, uh, in this episode, we're going to have a little bit of chat about you, obviously. Um, I wanted to have this conversation based on our conversations that we've had previously, because I think that your your journey is particularly inspiring, first of all. And I think that a lot of people can learn from you um, in terms of um, a whole raft of things that we're going to touch upon, but just the experiences that you've gone through. Um, we've also got some commonality that we'll touch upon as well in terms of our focus. Um, but I really think that our audience would uh, love to hear your story and it will inspire a lot of them to keep going, uh, inspire a lot of them to make that decision to, to jump into the entrepreneurial world and do what they're thinking about doing. Uh, so I really appreciate your time. And um, as always with our guests, it's a sort of a start at the beginning. So can you give us a little bit of a rundown of who is Sebastian Bates and uh, where did it all start from a, from a professional perspective? Yeah, sure. So, so my name is Sebastian Bates. Um, I'm the founder of the Warrior Academy, which is a martial arts organization that specializes in character development. So what that means is we work with, we work with parents to help them develop their, their you know, young people and their, and their children's confidence, conduct and concentration, what we call the three C's. Ultimately, we believe that if we can develop a child's character, we set them up for a happy and successful life as an adult. So that's, that's what the Warrior Academy does. And we do that by using martial arts as a vehicle um, to develop a child's character. So we've got about 2000 students around the world in our program. It started about 10 years ago. Um, and it's grown quite quickly um, from the villages in, in rural England um, into, into kind of Dubai. Um, and I'm a best-selling author in the area of character development. Uh, I'm personal trainer of the Royal Family here in Dubai. And um, we've, we've got a vision for, you know, creating Warrior Academy um, centers and character development centers across the Middle East. So that's kind of very, very briefly where we're from and, and what we're planning to do, what we're doing now. Um, Fantastic. To give you kind of an insight into the last 10 years and where it all began, um, it, like I said, it started in, in rural England. Um, so I, I was traveling for a while. I was actually studying at university in Denmark to become an architect. And, right. uh, and I dropped out about a year and a half into the course. Um, I remember speaking to the, the, um, the professor and she painted me a picture of what the next 20, 30 years would look like. And for some people that might look really exciting. For me, it was almost like there was a cap. Uh, when she explained what the, uh, what the end result would look like. It wasn't inspiring right. enough for me. Um, and so I, I pretty much that week, took a, I, I bought a one-way ticket from Copenhagen to Delhi in India. And, um, <laughs> and just, <laughs> just started traveling. Yeah, I, you can imagine from my parents' perspective, right? Telling all their friends that they've got a son who's going to be an architect. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> look how proud we are. How's, how's, the, how's the course going? Well, you know, he's, he's left. He's, he's gone. gone to India. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so I started traveling around India. Um, I just had this kind of thirst for exploration and adventure. And, you know, I wanted, I wanted to just experience more of the world. You know, seven mm. years at uni. And then after that, the, the hard work then begins in architecture. So, you know, I kind, of, I kind of lost the passion for it while I was studying. It was a very different environment to the UK. You know, I was studying from sort of 6.30 in the morning till. 6.30 at night and then I was washing dishes sort of seven, eight hours a day um, to kind of pay the rent. 
So mm. um, a very different uni experience to, to the, the kind to of classic, <laughs> the classic uni experience, right? I wasn't getting any of the fun stuff, but getting all the, all the tough stuff. <laughs> and, um, and, so, and so, yeah, I just started this adventure. And this adventure took me traveling and backpacking. I went with my best friend at the time around India, and we had very little money. We had, we had nothing. And mm. so I think we, our budget was about 300 pounds a month. When you consider okay. you've got to pay for traveling, tourist stuff, eating, accommodation, it, it wasn't enough to live off. Mm. And so what we had to do is we, we became very, very creative in how we could survive and you know, do the things we wanted to do. So we became very good at negotiating, very good at haggling. And we found our, our, you know, our nights, we, we, we slept on sleeper trains to get free accommodation. Um, and, I, and I guess when people say to me, what was your first kind of gig as an entrepreneur? I, I always say, actually, it was, it was being a monkey chaser in India. And um, that's, <laughs> that's normally quite a good conversation starter. I bet, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you, go you, want on. Me that, you want me to tell that story? <laughs> yeah, well, you've said it now, so definitely, yeah. <laughs> sure. So, um, so we were at this hotel in India, in Mumbai, and uh, sitting there having a cup of tea in the restaurant, and we were trying to figure out how we could pay for a meal there. And there was no one else on the, on the tables around us. And what we realized was it's because they were covered with branches because the monkeys at the top were breaking the branches, throwing them down, having a great time, but scaring off the customers. It was too messy uh, and too dangerous for customers to sit underneath, right? right. So we approached the, the owner of the hotel and said we can solve his monkey problem. All we need is a broom and five nights free accommodation of food. And, and basically, he just, you know, he, he gave us that. And um, it was, it was just, a, it was just a, an eye, like a light bulb moment where you realize, actually, when you look around you, you can start to spot problems, which you can then solve. Mm. And, um, and it's very relatable to right now with, with COVID and, and the, you know, there's so much disruption going on. It's, it's highlighted so many different problems that you can solve, which I find a lot of entrepreneurs are just like, where do I start? There's so much yeah. work to be done here. And, but I, I use that kind of mindset as I went traveling. So I, you know, that, that kind of mindset and that creativity and, and for me, entrepreneurship is creativity. You know, you're, you're constantly designing and solving problems. And, and so that took me around Asia and, you know, I was, I was, um, another, another typical gig I was doing was, um, going to train stations and, uh, you know, boat docks and that sort of stuff and bringing tourists to hotels to get free accommodation. Um, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, working at the full moon, uh, I, I went to full moon parties in Thailand and just rented sort of five bungalows and then rented them out to other people during the peak season and, you know, tripled the, the revenue for the, for the guys there. And it was, it was just this really exciting time. Mm. So I realized it wasn't sustainable as fun as it was, you know, and, and a great <laughs> experience and like a, like a, a solid um, course in creativity and entrepreneurship. It wasn't sustainable. Um, and so I wanted think, to go just, back. Just on that, do you think, why wasn't it sustainable? Because for some people that would be the ultimate. If they could just could continue doing that for someone, was it just not, not sustainable for you because you'd want to do more because you've seen too many problems to solve? Or what was that thinking about? Yeah, what was it, what was it sustainable? I, I didn't really see a path I was on. I was, I was very much a nomad. I mean, as, as exciting as that one was, I wanted kind of, I, I, I don't know if it was so much routine because I enjoyed the adventure of it. I guess it was just, um, the, the potential, you know, mm. learning an art or a craft and then really focusing on that and, and becoming the ultimate um, solution provider for that one thing, yeah. I think for me, was the route I wanted to go down. And I was, I was at that point, I was just doing everything, you know, so it, it was a bit of an eye opener there. But it was, it was just finding something I was passionate about. 
Um, and I guess I found that when I was, um, when I was training on Thai boxing camps. So a lot of the time I spent about two or three months on Thai boxing camps in the north and the, of Thailand and in Chiang Mai in a, in a really rural Thai boxing camp with kind of cement floor. And, you know, it was, it was pretty tough there. Six to eight hours training a day. The first thing we did every single morning was a six mile run up the mountains and down. And then, you know, it was brutal. Um, and, um, and, and so I, I, I fell in love with the sport. I fell in love with the Thai people, the culture. It was just incredible for me, uh, you know, to, to watch the spirit of the fighters and, mm. and it, it re-engaged that kind of fire and passion I had for martial arts after studying for kind of um, 15 years up until then uh, within Taekwondo and kickboxing and boxing. Right. So I decided to go back to the UK and to study to become a personal trainer. So I remember I, I borrowed, I think, 3,000 pounds off my dad because I, <laughs> I had nothing at all. Uh, for a six-week course uh, to become a PT, and you know, I, I, I landed in Heathrow, and then a week later, I, I you know, I, I pretty much started the course in the UK, and finished the course. I loved it, and um, what I loved about it was kind of being my own boss, and you know, the potential that that had. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I never envisaged what the next ten years would look like. I certainly wouldn't didn't think it would be like this. Mm. And, but, it, but it, I love the ownership, the responsibility, the, the, the fact that I could pour myself into it and it would be directly, um, you know, it would, it would directly influence my future. It was, there was nothing was set. It was, a, it was an open book, which I really liked. Um, but Thai boxing was the, was my first gig. So I, I basically, you know, after the course started a Thai boxing class or I took over from a Thai boxing class in Bath, um, which is a, a city in the Southwest. And, um, beautiful city, and I, and I, sorry, a beautiful city. No, oh, you've no, been, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, a lovely city, but the, 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 the gym I was in was quite a rundown gym. It was a really urban rundown gym. And um, a lot of the people who went there, you know, they were from pretty disadvantaged backgrounds. A lot of young people, teenagers, they were rocking up with black eyes and some of them were mm-hmm. kicked out the night before and sleeping rough. You know, we're talking drugs, alcohol. These guys were, were, were coming to class because they wanted to fight. That's, right. that's basically the, the kind of situation. This was a testosterone-filled room. You know, when you walk in, it was, it was quite intimidating for a lot of people, I think. Um, so I wanted to kind of change the mindset of people there, of what this actually meant. And, you know, it, I started to really realize the power martial arts had. When it comes to working with the teenagers, the biggest kind of shift I saw was in their conduct, in the way that they approached the decisions they were making and influenced by martial arts. And it changed the way they were, who they were hanging out with. It changed the decisions they were making at home, how they approached the confrontational relationships they had with their parents or with teachers in school. It changed their attendance. It changed the outlook on life. It changed the way they looked at themselves. It changed the way um, they behaved every day. And I started to notice this compounding effect. And this compounding effect was just like these people were, you know, they were teenagers, but they were, they were, they were changing the, court, the direction, the course of their life. And it was really, you know, the direction of the course, it was really like a, the development of a, of, a, of a moral compass. You know, that's what we were doing. And it was, it was really quite inspiring. You know, and these teenagers were just training super hard, you know, 10 of them became national champions in the first six months with me. And, you know, when they weren't training with me in class, they were following my programs at home and it was just transforming the way they were looking at things. Right. And, and so what I decided to do was, you know, I started to think to myself, what if I could work with these teenagers 10 years ago? 
what if I could work with them when they were fifth, when they were five years old instead of 15, plant these seeds earlier on, mm-hmm. modify that compass to give it direction at an earlier, at an earlier stage of their development. You know, we wouldn't be working with them in this emergency situation. Yeah. Instead, their opportunities would be, you know, so much bigger. Their outlook would be so much more positive because of the advice earlier on. And so that's why I kind of started working in primary schools. We opened up the first um, Warrior Academy Club in a, uh, in a school in a village called Road. Uh, there was 100 students in the school, 20 of them signed up to the club. And it just grew very, very quickly. Within, within kind of one year, we had about 200, 250 students. And you know, it became very, very popular. Um, and I realized you know, there, there, was, there was huge benefit to working with the younger students. Um, and what's quite cool is you know, these students who joined us 10 years ago, they're still with us today. And they're actually now training out to be instructors as well. I, I think at least 20, 30% of those students in that first class are still with us. So That's it's, amazing. It's, That's yeah, incredible. Really, and what an, eco, an ecosystem that you've built that it's now self, self-fulfilling almost from, from right. that perspective. What an impact exactly. you're making. I mean, I mean this, is our, this is our kind of big picture, right? For our students who have been with us the longest, you know, what, what we say is when you, when you get a black belt with the Warrior Academy, you, you get an opportunity to learn how to become an instructor. And when you, when you spend a year learning to become an instructor, you're then guaranteed a job. So every single student who, who goes through our black belt journey is guaranteed a job with us. And of course, that job isn't just in the UK now, it's across the Middle East as well. So there's, you know, we're opening up doors for students who would never have seen martial arts as a viable career. Yeah, no, definitely. And I also think that it's, it's something that's not to be sniffed at from the, the current situation of the world, that a guaranteed job anywhere is mm. is is something to really um cover from 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 that perspective and, and look for so that opportunity based on the good that you're doing as well and this is why i i, I like talking to you because it actually lifts me up <laughs> talking to you in terms of the difference that you've you've made you're making this impact you know and this, this this commonality i've talked about in terms of affecting young people's lives um, mm. and helping them just see some of the things that are potentially available to them and, and changing, like you said, from your perspective, the moral compass, but, but also just making them think about the decisions that they're making at a younger age, and especially now in the digital world, how that's potentially going to impact them a, a few more years down the line. And um, I think it's yeah. just, it, it's so, so, so important. So from, from those, um, you know, the small start in the UK from that side of things, what was the, what was the shift to the Middle East for, uh, you know, you moving around the whole world in terms of expansion, but what was it about the UAE and Dubai? How come, how come this was where you ended up? Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, this, this was, this was 2010, 2011, um, over, over the course of six, seven years or seven years, we, we developed the Warwick Academy the UK to about 50 clubs. There was about a thousand students going through the program a year. So it was going really well. The UK, um, we've got an amazing team uh, who developed over time. Uh, we've got an amazing area manager who, who takes care of all of the clubs, all of the students and all of the team in the UK. And the UK was, was, was very self-sufficient. It didn't really need me as much as it used to. Mm-hmm. So with that came more time. And, and what I decided to do was, was you know, ex- expand. And it was a case of where should we expand? Um, and we wanted to test it somewhere urban. So up until that point, the War Academy had always been in the countryside of the UK. And, and we really refined what we were doing, but we wanted to test it somewhere urban to see, to see what potential we kind of had in a more populated area. So it was going to be London. And, um, and then I was, I was actually in Dubai, uh, August 2000 and 2018, I think it was. Yeah, August 2018, I was in Dubai on a long weekend trip with just with my friend. And Timothy Fair Matthews from F10, I think you know him as well. Yeah. And, yeah, so, um, <laughs> and so um, we, we, were, we were sitting and talking. 
and he was asking me, you know, what about this, this plan for expanding into London? I was like, okay, yeah, we looked at it. And he said, why not, why not look at Dubai as an option? And up until that point, I, I didn't really consider Dubai. I thought it was too far from home. Um, you know, the, the culture differences, you know, would, mm. you know, would it work here? And then I started doing some research and I realized that no one in Dubai had a focus on character development like we do. There was, there was no one anywhere near that kind of specializing into the degree we do when it comes to developing confidence, conduct, concentration, a moral compass, there was, there was no solution for parents who really needed help with that. Right. And so the more research I did, the more I liked the idea of expanding here. And then, you know, it, it just kind of tapped into this mindset I had of just, you know, adventure and, you know, seeing life as one big adventure being one of my, one of my kind of biggest values, right? You know, getting, getting to the end of life and just thinking, wow, what amazing a story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um a lot of my decisions in life have been based on that to be honest and so so for me that was one of the guiding principles you know i could have been, it would have been comfortable to expand into london it would have been mm. uncomfortable because we're, we're moving into a new city right but but it would have been more uncomfortable to move to the middle east and to try and set up in dubai which is exactly why we did it because it, it was it looked like a, a more exciting more adventurous option and yeah. That's exactly what we did. So our kind of process for, for launching in Dubai was, you know, jumping through all the, the kind of exciting different hoops that you have to do here with lots of paperwork and yeah. lots of stamping. And I'm fortunate enough to have a great sponsor who helped me quite a lot. Oh, um, but, but, you know, you... So that's, a, that's a top bit of advice then. Get, get a good sponsor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think get a, good, get a good sponsor that you've had several referrals about, you know, mm. and, and a good, having a good sponsor in Dubai can really open doors for you. When you're stuck, you could phone them up and say, which direction should I take? There was certainly local knowledge I wasn't aware of, which, mm. you know, if, if I had just guessed what to do, I would have gone down the wrong route. And, right. you know, you, it's doing everything to the letter here, I just think is so important from the very, very mm. beginning, which is exactly what we've done. And um, so we started advertising on Facebook. So we used, we used our, our, our campaigns from the UK to influence the way in which we advertise in Dubai. And the first thing we did is we used surveys to generate data and insights into what challenges parents in Dubai faced. Um, and then we built videos and, and content and adverts around that. We dropped pins um, across the kind of main residential areas in Dubai. And um, then we launched. And our first, our first kind of month or two, um, you know, we, we, we went from zero students to like 150, 200 students. Um, <laughs> you know, whereas ever, all of our kind of competition, if you like, in Dubai was, was you know, doing exhibitions at after school clubs and all that sort of stuff, giving out flyers. We were purely online. And, and I remember going to one event where we, cause we tried to, we tried to, we tried to do everything, you know, and we were at one event, which was like an exhibition and the students and parents skipped past all the other providers who had been there five years, went straight to us and their, and their children. And you'll find this interesting because these guys are eight, nine years old. Their children okay. said, those are the guys from Facebook. Yeah. And um, <laughs> saw, saw, you saw you online, yeah. And right, exactly, right. The, yeah. the children saw us online, let alone the parents. It was just, yep. you know, the, so, so it was really interesting. So that's, you know, that's, that's what we did. We, 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 we leveraged our kind of um, online presence to, to launch in Dubai. In the first, the first three months, the Royal Family contacted us and that, and that kind of started the next adventure. 
Um, you know, my wife, Vicky, who you know as well, was managing all of the clubs in Dubai while we had a little child as well. <laughs> and then um, I was one week in Dubai, one week in the UK, back and forth, back and forth for about six months, training the royal family in the, in the UAE in the UK. So um, that first year in Dubai was like, you know, wow. Well, when to say the on. least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the story, the story had begun. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Uh, brilliant from that side of things. So this, I think also that your entrepreneurial uh, mindset must have tapped into when you, when you were thinking about Dubai to think, oh, well, there's an opportunity there. There's a problem that needs fixing and looking around, it doesn't seem like anyone's fixing that problem. So, well, mm. I guess that's my job now um, in shifting in. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I guess there's a, there's a few different ways of, of looking at it, isn't there? It's, I th- part one is, can you spot the problem? Mm-hmm. Part two is, can you come up with a solution for the problem? And part three is, do you have the courage to, to kind of attach yourself to that solution? Because a lot of people get to part one, they get to part two. You hear, you hear a lot of business owners say stuff like, oh, I've noticed this problem. Do you know what they need? They need this. But they haven't got the courage to go out there and just throw themselves at it, despite the risk that it might, you know, they, they, they may lose their current secure position by doing it financially or with time or, you know, whatever it is. But it's, it's, it's the entrepreneur's bet, right? Can you solve yeah. the problem? What are you going to risk in order to solve the problem? Right. Yeah. And I think there's very, very important uh, thinking as well around it because there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, with a lot of ideas. And I always say this to the, the ideas is the easy bit. Um, coming up with the ideas is, 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 is a dime a dozen kind of thing because it isn't hard really to come up with that idea, but implementing that idea and coming up with a solution that makes that idea a reality. That's actually the challenge. I think that, that successful entrepreneurs um, I've lost your the, audio there. Sorry. Oh, can you hear me now? Am I back? Can't seem to hear you. Still there? Oh, there you are. Go back. Back. Okay. Back where, did that, where did that cut out? <laughs> what did you hear? <laughs> um, just when you started talking. All oh, right. Um, just in terms of the idea of putting uh, ideas into practice, I guess is where we, what I was talking about there. The ideas are the easy bit when it comes to the entrepreneurial journey. Um, the the challenge is actually implementing those ideas and making um, totally. A, a success of it or, or, or putting your your belief behind that that this this is the solution rather than just saying hey, yeah this is an idea it's like yeah, yeah. I, I have a hundred ideas a day and this is also something i wanted to ask you is that how easy is it for you to not see so many opportunities and go after all of them because your mindset obviously you identify these kind of things quite easily how how do you restrain yourself from saying well there's so many opportunities for me right now which ones do i go after yeah i mean this is this is it isn't it so First of all, I love what you said about um, people not implementing. It's so true, isn't it? And, and also, if you look at like course junkies, there's a lot of course junkies out there who just, they, you know, they're doing this course and that course, and then this is the next, this is going to 10x everything, and then I'm going to do this, and it's going to be amazing. And everything is the next like golden ticket, right? Yeah. And my approach is very different. I, I followed, I had one mentor and followed his, his advice to the T. Um, Daniel Priestley, who's now become a good friend um, and the KPI community, and it, and I followed the advice of one source, mm. but followed it completely. Like just went to town. I think I did the course three or four times. I paid for it once, used all the course material to go and do it again and again and again. Mm. And, um, and I just followed it. And, and I think having the discipline to just, to just not just start things, but finish things, right? Yeah, and so and bringing that same approach, bringing that same approach over to business. You know, have you, have you solved the problem? So you, you've come up with a, you come up with a problem, you've come up with a solution. Okay. You found a way to, to kind of solve that. Now, before you start something else, can you, can you make that sustainable? And by that, I mean, does it, does it continue without you? 
So that all comes down to building a team, right? So if you look at what we did in the UK, where we built this great team to manage everything, um, there was no expansion into Dubai without a great team in the UK. So before I could go and explore other, other, um, other challenges and, and, and try and solve other problems in other areas, first it's solidifying, making something sustainable, um, building the team um, you know, to, to make sure that you're not going to have issues which are then going to distract you from the other challenges you're facing and therefore have a headache of spinning plates like a, a lot of entrepreneurs do, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so, that, so that's, that's how I can make, making sure, making sure you, you fit in place. Right, right. Yeah. No, and that, that, that I think that's really important for people to understand because this, this is so, such an important part of what, what entrepreneurship or building your business is about. But my question is to you, how, did you learn that skill from Daniel, from your mentor? How do you know that you're capable of doing that in terms of knowing that's what I needed to do in order to, 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 to round this out and have built that and make sure that it is sustainable without me? How do you know that? I think, I think one of the interesting bits of advice I had was um, reverse engineering the future. So a lot of, a lot of people plan forward, right? Hmm. When you plan backwards, it becomes a lot easier. So for instance, you would start in 2024 or 2025. Where do you want to be in 2025? What does that look like? Like what, what does it look like exactly? Where are you? Um, who have you got around you? Um, what does the business look like? What is the big vision, the big goal? What, what impact are you making at? What level are you making it? Um, and then working back. So, okay, so what do you need to be in that position? What assets do you need to develop? You know, you sort of work back, work back, work back until you get to a point where you can deconstruct that into weekly targets, right? And then it becomes, you're, you're kind of where you need to be and when, it, when you become comfortable to make extra leaps, which is basically what you're asking, right? When, yeah. when do you feel comfortable to make the next leap? Yeah, exactly. And that becomes very clear because you're following a plan. Right. You're ticking off, ticking off checklists and, and steps as you go. Right. Yeah. So it all comes down to planning. This is something I always find it interesting because it's um, useless at it. And it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm in that scenario of spinning too many plates at the moment um, right. in terms of trying to commit to the things I know I should be committing to, but not being able yeah. to, because I've committed to something else. Uh, and it's not that I've got like a hundred plates in the air. It's just, I've got three or four in the air, but they all are requiring too much. And it is coming down to yeah. this idea of not having a solid plan uh, working towards that plan. to allow me to then actually finish something off and, and move into the next one as it were. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think having, I think there's, there's a certain skill, which I find, I find a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, which is building a team. Right. Mm. And yep. it's a lot of it's down to communication. There's, there's a, there's a real, there's a real knack to doing it. Um, and like, like I, I've told you in the past, I, I had a, I was, I was heavily into extreme sports. I had a, I, I was, I had done about 500 um, skydivers and, wing, and wingsuit base jumps um, around the world. I had a really, really bad accident. And because of that, you know, I had to spend two years learning how to walk again. I almost lost yeah. the entire business. But what I did because of that is I became completely obsessed with outsourcing and building a, a team, a physical team and a virtual team. And, mm. and really, you know, the reason for that was if something was to happen to you, would you be able, would your business be able to run without you? Mm. You know, and, and a lot of people haven't been forced to, to make that decision. It's a nice idea. Mm. But because they haven't been forced to do it, they haven't got the motivation to go through it all and to really become experts at building a team. Mm. But it's one of those skills. If you can become an expert at building a team and outsourcing and delegating, suddenly these spinning plates don't become the plates that you're trying to keep up. You've got a team who are keeping all the plates up, right? So it opens up so many doors for you. Um, and uh, and, it, and it's, re it's really something that we tapped into, you know, and, and 
that's what helps the you know has has helped the UK become so self-sufficient. Um, you know, in and leading into kind of 2020 when we created loads of different partnerships, it's all very highly leveraged, right? So, and mm. um, you know, during during lockdown during COVID, I, I started about three or four different partnerships with other business owners, um, because we saw so many other opportunities or things we could do to help people. And I'm not heavily involved day to day. You know, it's, right. it's, it's highly leveraged and it's, it's tapping into that skill set of automating. And if you can do that, it takes, it alleviates so much of your headspace as an entrepreneur to kind of, to kind of stay in that visionary mindset. Right. Because if you get, if you get into that, that kind of place where you are the main, the chief plate spinner, suddenly it's hard to think big picture, right? It's hard to yeah. reverse engineer the future when you've got to be writing that email or checking that or looking at that spreadsheet or designing that or whatever. Yeah. So it's having a team around you. Once you've done it once, it, you're like, it's very predictable. It follows the same process. Every business follows the same process. Right. That very, very, very valid uh, advice there. And it's something that, yeah, it, it res resonates with me because I didn't, I never wanted to build a team because I never wanted to build something that would be bigger than what, I would need to, to manage, but obviously that's a, that's a, not a realistic way of looking at things because it's always growing to a point where mm -hmm. you can't manage it if you're doing it right because you, 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 you are growing. Um, yeah. And so I started building a team and then we, we reduced the team. And I've got a couple of people that I've, a virtual team that I, that I outsource to, but um, I'm at that point where I think, and this is why I do enjoy talking to you uh, both for the podcast, but also off, off line as well about how to move to the next step in terms mm. of taking, and this maybe bring it to, I think one of the things that you started within the COVID was the not a victim um, program, right? In terms of, and this yeah. is where I'll cross over and call it what you want. The, the, through one group, I connected with you and, and through Tim as well, and then found out that actually we live three doors down from each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> how small do I could possibly be um, around that? And then and then looking you up and saying, oh, hang on, you, you, you're in the anti-bullying place as well which you know from my perspective beat the cyber bully and now so to, can you just tell us a bit about not a victim and obviously a little bit of the backstory of that as to why this is something that you chose to, to start pushing yeah sure so i mean with, with not a victim um obviously we, we are very we, we focus a lot on data in the warrior academy and one of the biggest um challenges we found that parents have is mentoring their children through bullying we actually found it's one of the, the three biggest transitions a child is likely to go through. So from the age of four to 16, the three biggest transitions a child goes through are changing school, adolescence, and bullying. And what, what often happens is they go through at the same time. Right. And, but what we also discovered is parents are completely ill-equipped to deal with it. And for lots of different reasons, and, you know, there, there's, a, there's avoidance, there's guilt, there's the feeling of they, they think they should know what to do, but of course no one's born with a manual. They, they don't think it's going to happen to their child, but statistically most children are going to go through bullying. So there's this whole, this whole, whole level of, um, you know, parents aren't able to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. Um, but for me, it was a very personal subject because I, I spent sort of four or five years when I was younger going through severe bullying, which... When I look back and join the dots up, it's probably one of the main driving factors to wanting to work with young people, develop their confidence to a high level so they have that resilience. Mm -hmm. So what I started to do was I started to do these workshops in Dubai and, and they're not, not a victim uh, workshops. And they were designed to basically provide parents with emergency support um, if their child was going through bullying. But we've got a very different kind of approach. You know, if you, if you think of um, anti-bullying campaigns. It's all about stop bullying. You know, we can, we can eradicate bullying. 
And I, think, I don't think that's realistic. Um, our approach is much more centered around your child than, than what we can do to bullying as a community. So while those campaigns are brilliant, it's about educating parents. And it's, it's, it's developing that understanding that bullying isn't a one-off event. It's a transition that our children are likely to go through. Um, but we need to give our children the tools to overcome it on themselves, you know, by themselves to give them that resilience, what we call black belt resilience, right? And, um, and so it's, it's coming from this place of empowerment. And um, of course, that's quite hard for parents to, to kind of take on and, and to kind of swallow in one, in one 90 minute <laughs> workshop. And so what we decided to do was we need to, we need to develop something that educates parents on a, on a global scale. And so what I've done with a co-author, Manu Siebinger, um, who specializes in kind of uh, cognitive development and he's also in, in uh, physical therapy and from Holland. We put together this, uh, this book called Not a, not, called not a Victim. Uh, we've written about 70,000 words for it, developed a huge online course, it's about eight hours, eight to 10 hours uh, in this online course already. Um, and it, it mirrors and goes with our workshops. So um, this was all starting to develop. And then, you know, we, we were like, right, we had, we had booked out these workshops in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, London, Amsterdam, Saudi Arabia. 2020, I was going to be spending, um, you know, I was going to be in a different country every other week uh, to, to deliver these. This was the whole plan. Like the calendar, you should have seen it. The calendar was just, you know, it was going to be incredible. And, and, and then COVID hit and everything yeah. just stopped. It was just like, well... That's not going to happen. <laughs> and so, um, so what we realized, you know, we had to do was, was to change the delivery online. So we moved everything online. That's when the online course came about. Mm -hmm. That's when we turned all of these workshops into webinars. Um, and, now, and now, you know, then we, you and I started talking as well. And now there's this whole angle with cyber safety, which we're exploring and, and bringing into the, the kind of forefront of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, was, it was a really, you know, pivotal moment because it was like, yes, we can go around the world delivering these workshops, but if we made this an, an online resource for parents, suddenly we're not talking about impacting thousands of people. We're impacting millions. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the, not a victim, as a, as a separate business to the Warrior Academy, has one very, very simple goal to achieve over the next 10 years. It's a business with a start and end date, and it's 10 years from 2020 to 2030 and the goal of the business is to mentor 1 million children through bullying and um, and of course doing that face-to-face -face is tough so uh, developing online digital assets to help us will really really help um, achieve that yeah which is basically what we're trying to do that's excellent and now this is an in, this is a question i have for you because th this is what i see covid has done for a lot of businesses has forced us to look at things differently if COVID hadn't have hit, do you, do you think, well, I think the answer is you wouldn't have thought about it in 2020, but do you think that digitization of that content would have eventually come to, to your table or would you have just carried on down that, well, you know what, it's going to take me traveling to a different country every week for, for three or four years and that's what I'm going to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like COVID has accelerated what was going to happen anyway for the mm -hmm. world, for sustainability, for a lot of people, for their businesses, for their personal lives what would have happened in five years, what was going to happen by 2025 has basically happened in a period of like six months, right? So <laughs> the world is just, the world has just accelerated massively. Um, yeah. and, and I think the most courageous businesses out there have embraced it and they're going to see exponential growth because they've fully embraced it. They've got the courage to completely leave their comfort zone 
and 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 really, uh, you know, have a have a plan which which forces them to to change and adapt, right? Yeah. And and a lot of people haven't done that, you know, and they and they and they've stuck and they're closing up and they're 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 not thinking outside of the box. A lot of that comes down to fear, and mm -hmm. um, and fear really comes down to perspective. So, so yeah, I I, I think. I think I think for us, we 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 wanted to make a big impact, and but we've we've used COVID, or or you know because of COVID, not in spite of it, we've we've emerged. The Warrior Academy has emerged as a as a hybrid organisation. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is is really produce something which has never really been seen before. So if you look at, for instance, martial arts, right? You look at martial arts, and the main reason martial arts was created was to teach people how to defend themselves. You know, this is, this is where we've had some really interesting conversations, right? So if you look yeah. at children nowadays, we mostly teach children, we teach adults as well, but we, our main focus is on young people. You know, they're far more likely to have an attack online and yeah. to need self-defense online than they are physically in person. So if you look at the, the purpose of you as a martial arts instructor or a martial arts club it's designed to help young people defend themselves from an attack physical verbal mental whatever it is then a huge element of what you do should be in the online space, online space. Yeah. and what, what's interesting is you know with our program now we're we're encouraging young people to go online so it's not even a case of um you know we think that a sensible thing to do is to teach people to be safe online it's our responsibility if we're asking young people to get on the computer, get online, download our app and use our online resource, it's our responsibility to, to make them, to give them, you know, black belt level self-defense online, to have this ability just as a child would, a teenager would as they walk down the street to avoid, um, you know, negative peer groups, to, to see danger, spot it and avoid it and change the course. While you can't stop that negativity from happening, you can teach someone to be streetwise online as well as offline to avoid it to change their course. So we basically emerged as this organization, like a really forward thinking organization that's hybrid online, offline, that teaches a, a young person to defend themselves in, in, in every, every area or aspect of their life. And that's been completely accelerated by COVID. Sure. And I think it's, uh, you made a very good point there, the, the, the fact, and it's such a cliche word now that pivot, um, that everybody yeah. hates hearing that word. Um, but it, it's a cliche because it's true and that those companies that have decided, you know what, this is happening. There's lots of them that are saying this is terrible. It's not fair. And like, yeah, that, that's true. But what are you going to do about it? And those mm. that have, and I think that you, like you say, you, you've, you've emerged from this as an organization that's actually going to, from impacting tens of thousands of people to impacting hundreds of millions of people potentially. Um, yeah. and, and that the, the acceptance of the digital space, the leveraging of that digital space, um, this is, it's such a great example of a positive case study of when mm. you do think about it and implement the outcome that, that, that can happen. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'm, again very very excited to see what's happening not not just because of the collaboration between us but just in terms of the potential impact that this could have uh, yeah. for, for everybody uh, and, and like i say it's embracing the digital world which from from the beat the cyber bully stuff that i do it's so important that we now stop talking about managing screen time and, and, and not having them online the reality is they're going to be online now we mm. have to start focusing on what are they doing online now if they're, they're, mm. they're at the warrior academy and looking at this kind of information and they're learning something and they're developing their character is that such a bad thing that they're doing it on the screen in my opinion no because actually mm. otherwise they wouldn't be able to do it in this world that we're currently living in so we, we have to start to adapt and we have to start to adapt 
quickly. And, and I think those that are both from a business perspective, but also from the consumer, you know, in terms of uh, businesses saying, well, I'd rather I had somebody at the front of the room delivering this session. It's like, yeah, I'd love to be that person, but I can't right now. We're not allowed to do it, right? <laughs> so what are we going to do instead? Um, and, and this is where I think you said it's accelerated things. And a lot of those that are open to accepting this are seeing the benefits. Uh, and those that are not, are, like you said, unfortunately closing their doors at the end of the day. So um, mm. the ability to change is, is imperative. Now, with with um, that in mind, and uh, we I, I could talk to you for a long, long time, but usually we try to keep our <laughs> podcasts at least down to that sort of 45-minute uh, perspective. But from an entrepreneurial uh, angle and your own personal development side of things, you've mentioned one thing that I think is really important for everybody to think about, which is the idea of a mentor when it comes to doing business and, and, and going on this journey. But do you have any other resources that you would recommend in terms of specific books or, or, or other mentors? I know you've got Daniel as your core mentor, but any resources that you would say to anyone that's thinking about this journey to, you know what, go and do this, go and read this, go and talk to that person, just, um, just from your own personal perspective? Yeah, 100%. So um, during the lockdown, I created this group with uh, Tim, who I mentioned earlier, yeah. And the, the, the group is called F10X Academy. And the goal of the group was basically to unite small business owners in Dubai um, at a time where they need like this injection of courage. Mm -hmm. And um, what we wanted to do was to create this community who could support each other. So we created lots of networking events, online networking events within this community, and also bring in some of the world's best speakers, mentors, um, you know, best-selling authors, of industry experts, you know, Daniel's been on there three times. We've had um, all sorts of other exciting people on there. Um, you know, even uh, Fat Man Scoop's been on there. So we've, we've, uh, we've, we've had some really amazing speakers on there um, who have steered the group in a direction which would help them transition through this really difficult time. And we then turned these really raw but real interviews into the podcast, Round Pegs, Square Holes, uh, which is obviously from the Apple commercial, Here's to the Crazy Ones basically paying homage to entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. And, um, and that became a number one um, on, that went to number one on iTunes and its launch. And, um, and you know, the, these podcasts became a really good resource. So rather than, you know, um, reading this book or that book, what I would say is if you type into, to, you know, iTunes podcast, whatever, round peg square holes, mm -hmm. and you listen to some of the episodes there, you can flick through them. It's about 30. You recorded about 60 in 60 days. Uh, it, it got completely out of hand. It was, it was so much fun to do, but it, it was just like, I was doing a podcast every day. And, you know, some of these guys, I, I had read their books and it was just great to finally have a chance to learn Talk from to them. them. Yeah, and if you, if you watch them, yeah, right. If you, I mean, you can go onto iTunes or you can go to YouTube and actually look at the episodes, which are all live stream. And you can watch me there with a pen and paper, just sort of writing down notes, not just, not just for the interview, but for myself, because I find it so fascinating. Yeah. And, um, I really believe that if you go through those episodes, you will get so many incredible nuggets of information that will steer you in the right direction as a business owner, because they're very, very relevant to business owners in Dubai going mm. through this, this transition, like I said, that we're going through right now. So that is a key resource um, for anyone who's interested. Brilliant. No, brilliant recommendation. We'll, we'll put a link to that on the, the blog post as well so that people can go and uh, see a little bit more and then download it from wherever they listen to their podcasts too. Um, but uh, it just remains for me to say, uh, Seb, thanks very much. Thank you very much for your time today and, and uh, being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. 
No problem at all. It was a pleasure. I think we, we could probably carry on for another couple of hours, couldn't we? But uh... well, we, we could. And, and, and I think that we'll probably, we will do so on another occasion just to talk about some of the other stuff in more detail that didn't, we didn't really get to dig into. But again, thank you very much. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. And uh, if you've got anyone that you'd like us to talk to, then drop us a line at wishlist at swenglinese.rocks or hit us up on social media. Thanks for tuning in and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Swanglinese with your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time.